Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from the Revelation, chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the, the faithful, the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and self to put on your eyes so you can see. Those who I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of the Lord. Oh, well, it's, it's an honor to be back here. Um, I've been a few times, so if I haven't gotten to meet you yet, I want to um, just thank you again for letting me come. My name's Nick, and I'm the lead pastor at Apostles Downtown Church. And um, I have been praying all week um, for this passage, for this time for you, because um, in many ways, you know, th- this, this is a hard text. And uh, I'm preaching this to my congregation and I was thinking, oh, man, I really hope this can land right um, uh, to you today. But I know God is good, and he has a plan. And there's something in this uh, passage that I hope does land in this church at this time, and not just for my own congregation apostles. And so um, so I'm praying. I'm praying a lot that, that this, would, this passage would really speak to you in a unique way in this unique Sunday. So can I just stop? And pray for you all and just pray for God's word to really land how it's supposed to. Father, would you work mightily? Would you move in this church? Would you move from the word, God, that we want to hear from you and we want to know you even in this passage in Revelation that is fairly difficult and, and challenging to us and pushes against our own natural sensibilities and our own uh, independence. So, Lord, we, we trust that this, <clears throat> this particular passage might work in our hearts today. We give you glory, Holy Spirit, that you are at work and, and moving. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Pastor uh, Tim Kazar famously stated a sobering truth. He said, our greatest fear as individuals and as a church should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things that don't really matter. What do you think? Do do you think that we are succeeding in things that don't really matter? Are you personally 
succeeding in things that don't really matter. I can't really think of a more pointed question to ask both of ourselves and subsequently our churches. You see, it isn't always the people's fleeing from God or ignorance of God that that the church has to consider. It's being a really wonderful place that doesn't really matter. A really wonderful space that is not significant or important or thriving. Jesus wasn't just asking for a passive acceptance of his cross, of his resurrection when you became a Christian. He wasn't interested in you just checking a box, a feel-good box. Ah, okay, that's done in my life. He wanted you to be all in. That's the, that's the bottom line. Just to be all in. Filled with hope, joy. And the word he uses here is zeal. Zeal. He's calling us to action in this. Uh, as Steve Jobs, you know, the founder of Apple Computers, uh, he's trying to recruit Pepsi's then president to be the CEO of Apple. And he looks at John Scully and he says, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? <laughs> well, do you want to throw your life into a bunch of things that don't matter that in the end don't make any difference? Or do you want to follow God, invest in his ways, and change the world? Following Jesus' boldness and his passion and his zeal for us, I mean, if we can take that and just consider what God is, who God is, and what he has done for us, if we can take that zeal and his passion for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, if we can think about that, take all of that, and apply it in our world, we can sort of start drawing a, a line in the sand as a church and drawing a, a line in a way and saying, um, because, because I, don't, I don't want uh, my life, I don't want Trinity's or any other church in Manhattan to succeed at good things that don't really matter. I want us all to matter. So I want us to take all of that and begin to live it. So this is an easy letter to get. It's very black and white in a sense. John is saying to the church in Laodicea, Get off the fence. Follow Jesus and see the failures of all these other things that you have been investing in. See the failures that don't, that, that, that don't fill you. See all of the ways of the world that don't really provide that joy. Look at all of that and, and leave it. That's it. If we reflect on our lives, there would probably be a great deal of us right here that have found a way towards lukewarm Christianity. Or if you want to put it in your own terms, maybe there's words that you've used to kind of stay away from that word lukewarm Christianity, like balanced Christianity, or careful Christianity, or tolerant Christianity, or maybe even New York City approved Christianity. So by way of introducing this passage, let me quickly give you a little history um, behind why John the writer is saying this, using this language to the church of Laodicea, because it's important why he uses this language, because it might be a little unfamiliar with us. It, it feels 
as, as sad as it feels, Jesus has really nothing good to say about the church of Laodicea. He has, is writing all of these letters. John is writing all these letters to all these different churches, and he always says something good about them, even though he does kind of rebuke them. But he says something good about them. He finds some positive thing. But here in this church, nothing good to say. There is absolutely nothing good to say. Uh, but he's getting real. He's getting real with the church, and he cuts to the core of their apathy and reminds them of the good news of Jesus in their lives, their deeper identity as Christians. They forgot who they were. It wasn't like they were rebellious towards God. It's not like they were running away from God. They're purposely running away from the things of God, but they just became plain, boring. They became people who are are just slowing down their spirituality in a way that's not necessarily helpful, in a way that's not necessarily good. They weren't sending missionaries. They weren't giving generously towards the kingdom efforts. They weren't investing in disciple-making. The church was just lukewarm, apathetic, humming along, just existing. And Jesus literally says, I will vomit them out of my mouth. I mean, my kids love to hear that part of the story. (laughs) But I hope you don't. Because some of you know that you're probably there. According to the letter to the Colossians, the, the church was, the, was a great church. It was a great church at one time. But slowly, they began to turn their backs on Jesus and began to worship themselves. And of course, they kept all of the normal things like church, singing, I'm sure, dressing up nice on Sunday, you know, these kinds of things. I'm sure they did that stuff. But Jesus is telling them that he clothed them. He calls them to buy from him, depend on him. Something they weren't doing anymore. They forgot all these things. So the Spirit calls John, the writer, to illustrate their apathy by pointing to the water. Pointing to the water. Now, they got this illustration loud and clear because Laodicea had issues with their water. They didn't have the fancy New York City drinking water that we have. They weren't able to drink their own water, so they had to get their water from springs very far away. So now these hot springs, the hot springs that were very far away, had really great medicinal healing components at the spring. But when it traveled to Laodicea, it was not hot, but it was lukewarm and very gross. Not refreshing, Exactly, and they lost a lot of the medicinal purposes and reasons that they would go to the hot water. And so they would not drink it. Or it was cold water from another town they would get, and they would find this delicious cold water. And so now John, using this illustration, relates it to the church in Laodicea, something they clearly and personally understood. And he rebukes them, calling them out for being the nasty lukewarm water that God vomits out of his mouth. I mean, does that seem too unloving to you in a way? I mean, typically we don't like these kinds of pictures of God. We don't like to hear a God who rejects, who feels like he's pushing us away. But let's try to understand it more. Let's try to understand what he is getting at in this. So we have to start with God. I, I, I always tell my kids, like, the, if, if you have questions, start with him. Go to him, right? Because he is good. He is pure. He has lots of things. So John does this. John starts by telling us who Jesus is. 
the words of the what? Amen. The words of the amen. The faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus is the amen. Jesus is the one who created all things and brings all things to bear. This is like saying he's the foundation, the anchor for us to cling to. We say amen after our prayers, right? We say that sort of as a way of declaring, let it be so, let it be true. John is writing saying, Jesus has been so. He is true. He's alive with an Easter hope, true and causing all things to work together for our good. But John also reminds us that he is faithful and true, a true witness. We are so faithless, aren't we? We are so faithless sometimes that we need to hear that Jesus is faithful in our place. We are like shifting around like a a boat without an anchor, but he is the anchor, so we grab onto it. Thankfully, thankfully Jesus isn't lukewarm. He isn't lukewarm. He has been faithful since the beginning of creation. He is the grand architect working together with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And so we must start with Jesus because when we base our lives on anything else, we are going to fail. If we start with the American dream, for instance, we'll always want more. When we start even with justice and mercy, a good thing, we will become angry and bitter and in pain. When we start with work, with our career, we'll be left wanting, climbing. When we start with religious duties, even, we'll never be satisfied until we stand on Jesus, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. We're going to keep stumbling and falling. So let's start with Jesus. Let's start with him so that we know what matters. We know what's true. We know that all the things that we're doing matter. So let's start there and then move into seeing, uh, secondly, that Jesus knows in verses 15 through 19. He knows our lukewarm lives. Can we uh, let him peer into our souls a little bit? Are you guys willing to kind of just open up your soul a little bit? I mean, he sees it anyway, so you can't really open it. He just sees. So I'm just kind of saying, will you cooperate a little bit? Cooperate with him. Let him look in our souls. Can we look and see what Jesus is seeing? Maybe can we become more aware of what Jesus already sees? A question we have to face in our Christianity, in our Christian lives, is a tough but important one to face. Ask yourself, am I a lukewarm Christian? Am I a lukewarm Christian? Is, is he talking about me? Is he talking about me? This is a question that I hope all of us are asking, or if I can be so bold to ask, is there even such a thing as a lukewarm Christian (laughs) or even a lukewarm church? Now, personally, I'm not exempt from this, so don't think I am. I'm constantly asking this in my own life, in, in my church, apostles, is are we lukewarm? Are we in the aqueduct to become lukewarm? Are we on that, are we on that pipeline? Francis Chan writes, as I see it, A lukewarm Christian is an oxymoron. There's no such thing. 
To put it plainly, churchgoers who are lukewarm are not Christians. We will not see them in heaven. As shocking, isn't it? Maybe even a, a bit offensive, too offensive. It, it makes things seem a little more black and white. And I sense some of you, and, and I know in myself, we, we probably need a little more black and white in our fuzzy gray culture. Uh, we need that. So in Forum Magazine, another author, he writes, It is not scientific doubt, not atheism, not pantheism, not agnosticism that in our day and in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It is a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted prosperity. Wow. Uh, I mean, I think the best way to test our hearts, to look into our hearts, to see if we are lukewarm is to assume, is ask, am I assuming that I'm just fine? Everything, uh, maybe everything that I'm saying, you're thinking, oh, somebody else needs to hear this. This is for somebody else, not you. See, when you begin, begin to assume that everything is just fine, when you aren't experiencing Conviction, And when you aren't experiencing God looking into you and peering into your own heart, when you're thinking, well, this needs to be for somebody else, not me, I've arrived, you might be in the pipeline, in the aqueduct, cooling down. When you assume that you are Christian enough, you're lukewarm. When you find yourself checking the box that you attended church this week and you've done your duty and you've served that person and you've, you've, you've fulfilled that... You, you've become lukewarm. But we need to dwell a little bit more in this world. We need to understand it to do a healthy self-evaluation in our lives. What does a lukewarm life look like? What does that look like a little more? Two simple ideas. I mean, there's a lot of ideas out there, but two simple ideas that kind of connect in a way together. The first one is that we pursue self. When you begin to say, as the church of Laodicea said, I need nothing, then you have started to cool off. We can be some of the most self-sufficient people. Now, maybe some of you college students or uh, interns in the city or actors, you're still depending on your parents uh, or somebody to provide and supply rent or insurance or these kinds of things. Um, But I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that kind of dependence. Dig in and ask, is all of the attentions of my heart, my desires, my hopes going into myself, my success, my attention, my needs? Am I pursuing myself? The second thing, this is kind of, again, similar... We pursue prosperity for ourselves. Is it good to remember, it is good to remember that prosperity isn't bad when it's holistic. Prosperity is not bad when it's holistic. When it becomes all about prospering yourself, then you've found yourself cooling down. Lukewarm living means a tight-fisted wallet, a tight-fisted service, but a living hot Living um, with that medicinal 
reality of the, the, the hot water in light of the gospel requires greater generosity. If your goal is always to have a bigger apartment, the greatest titles, the most epic vacation, then this might be the sign that you are moving towards lukewarm. Listen, 2 Corinthians 15.5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus is in you? A lukewarm church is a church that won't stop and examine, that we're not willing to stop and ask some of these hard questions. We ought to constantly look at our hearts and ask, is Jesus in me? Is my end goal for Christianity morality? Is it myself? Is it prosperity for me? Or is it Jesus? And so here's the hard part. Jesus vomits the lukewarm out of his mouth. So can we get off the fence? Several years ago, my family and I, we saved for nearly, we saved for a long time to travel to England. Um, we, uh, my, my church in Ohio that, that I was a part of, we planted a church over in Leeds, England. And uh, we were always excited to go over, we've always been excited to go over as a family and so we got to go, we saved up our money, got to go over, see the gospel at work in England and spend time with church leaders there. And it was so good for me. It was so important for our kids. And it was one of those trips that I, I remind my kids, you know, even while we were flying there, how much it cost me, you know. This, you better enjoy this because this cost me a ton of money, you know. It's like Disney, you know. Any kid complains at Disney, you're like, you, that, that was a minute of, of, that cost me like $100 right there. Um, <laughs> But then we, we had three weeks there, and the last week of our trip, an evil virus invaded our family. I'll spare you the details, of course, but every single person in my family, that's six of us, I have four kids, we left our mark on England. In fact, one of my kids, we were in this incredibly gorgeous, beautiful, you know, thousand-year-old castle, and right in the middle, my, my child just left her American ways Right in the middle on the floor. And, and you know, you know um, it's like you don't know vomit really until you're cleaning up after your kids while you or yourself are sick. It's the worst. I know that's a horrible picture, so we can change the subject. But what can we do so our church just isn't a bunch of sick people spreading germs everywhere? Where God isn't just vomiting us out into the streets of New York. I want to I feel a little bit of that grossness, of that, that horridness that sickness is. So God says, John writes, I'd rather you be hot or cold, all in or all out. But listen, this isn't like he's saying, that's fine if you're cold. That's okay if you go there too. He wants us to be hot. It's clear he wants us to be hot. There's an invitation here to action. Our tendency is to get fired up now. Let me see that word zealous. And think Jesus is telling us, go crazy. Get out there. Beat people on the heads. Be hot or zealous but he describes what that looks like. He says, 
To be hot, to be zealous is actually to be pitiable, poor, blind, naked. Really he's saying it's just to be real. To be real. It's not just a call to more extrovertedness either. So some of you extroverts are like, oh, is he just telling me to go out and talk to people more? And, you know, that, no, it's, it's a call to be real, to be honest. So let me give you some descriptions of, of hot or zealous people. Some markers. Maybe you want to write these down and just think about them more on your, in your own life this week. First is humility. Knowing your place before God. Knowing you aren't God. Not earning God's favor with your religiosity, but knowing that because of Christ on the cross, your sins are forgiven. It humbles you deeply just to know that reality. Secondly, serve. Are you serving? Is there service in your life? You, you care for the blind because you were blind. You clothe the naked because you were naked. How do, you, how do we serve each other when we think we don't need anything? But we do need a lot. Jesus serves us. So we go and we serve our city. This means we help those traffic predators find a way out. Traffic by predators find a way out. We, we befriend the homeless. We love the refugees. We seek to humbly understand the oppressed. We invest in the down and out because we see that we, in fact, ourselves are the down and out. We compassionately and actively serve. A third one is we live out generously. Generosity is giving not only to the top of our riches, giving off the top, you know, a little bit, we've got leftovers, but giving out of your poverty. And that means that money for missions exceeds. That means money uh, together exceeds. Needs are met in the community because you have been compelled not just to be satisfied with your prosperity, but must see others prosper. You must see others prosper. The church of Laodicea was a wealthy people, but they did not act. They didn't do anything. They didn't need anything personally. And this was their downfall. Generosity is a mark of a zealous church. There are many, many, many more markers, but there's one last one that I want us to see. And I want us to make sure we get a zealous church is marked by discipline. Now, I don't mean discipline like you're organized. Right? You're organized and you have your life in order, but discipline as in God pours out his love so generously that you are even willing to take on his discipline in your life, his discipline in, 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 your, in your heart to show you more of himself. Lukewarmness definitely doesn't want God to stir your life up in any ways, meddle with you. Or give you that, that holy spanking. You, don't, you want God in your own terms. You want him in your own ways. You don't want him meddling with you in a way that causes you grief and suffering. Causes pain and toil. Causes you to be uprooted from comfort. But God messes with our lives to those he loves. Because he wants us to find deeper rest deeper satisfaction, deeper humility, deeper generosity, deeper unity, all in him. A zealous church is marked by people who are humble, who serve, who are generous, 
to receive discipline. Now, every time I dwell on this letter to this church, I feel the conviction in my own half-hearted life. I feel the biblical anxiety for my own church and even the future of New York City churches. But, and if I can throw in a big but here, the joy of, of life in Jesus Christ, in him, in his grace, means that it is not the end for Laodicea. It's not the end for you. It's not the end for any of us as a church. It's like we've not received this, it's not like we've received this giant fail stamp on our papers. God moves us aside and it's all over. Jesus goes on to say this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This isn't a picture of Jesus with a great big puppy dog eyes begging you and pleading with you, please let me in. That's not how Jesus is right here. This is a picture of grace that he offers lukewarm people like you and me a powerful life in him. This isn't just him saying, let me into your life. But he's saying, I'm going to invite you into mine. He invites us by opening our ears to hear and calling us to dine with him and him with us. Many of you are preparing life for yourself. Your time is yours. Your money is yours. He's saying, give it away. Let it go. Because Jesus gives. He gives all that you need. He has invited us to be a part of his kingdom, to eat with him, to conquer with him. This is a, this is a powerful imagery here. I mean, this is a powerful imagery of us letting go of everything to gain everything. Letting go of the things, the, pit, the, the pitiful things that we have to take it all. Th- these are what our hearts long for though, isn't it? But it, is only come, it only comes to those who stand on the promise given by Jesus Christ. It only, sta- it only comes to those who stand at his door, who walk through his door. Jesus died on the cross so that we could live zealously for him. He rose from the dead as we celebrated last week. That he really, he really did this so that we could have confidence that he is reigning on his throne today. So take that zeal. Take all of that confidence and let's pray that those are the things that mark our church, that mark our lives because the worst thing in life is that you look back and realize that you have the power of the Holy Spirit on your life to change the world and you decided to succeed in the things that don't matter. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Come down upon us right now. Fill this place with transformation. Fill it with zeal. Fill it with passion. God, give us a holy understanding of our own pitiable lives, but your greatness. God, help us to cast off the things that we pursue in our life so that we can conquer with you, so that we can reign with you 
Give us those things, those eternal things, those things that actually matter and help us take those to the streets and not our sickness. God, help us to succeed in the things that matter to you and you alone. We pray all of this as one church, Jesus Christ, amen.